This morning we are in Isaiah 55. <clears throat> I invite you to pull it up on your devices or open the Bible in front of you. This is uh, considered by many scholars to be the last chapter in what is called the Book of Comfort or the Book of Consolation. Chapters 40 through 55 are considered that. These verses are addressed to the exiles when they are still far from home and then as they are coming back. And while that time frame isn't entirely clear to us, the words are so good to us today. In reading Isaiah 55, you will see how really the entire chapter is an invitation, asking people if they'll respond to God's various offers by saying yes. Will they say yes to God in this time of their life? So I thought it'd be good for us just to talk for a second about invitations, a written or verbal request asking someone if they want to go someplace or do something with them. Professional party planners, which I'm sure you're very keyed into, will tell you that invitations invitation set the overall tone of the event being held. We can tell what kind of party is happening because of what is conveyed in the invite, correct? Is it formal? Is there a theme? What should we expect? Now we can see the guest list. Invitation, tell us all of the details we need to know. Now, an invitation is not a command. It's not a summons. It's not inherently an obligation, although for some family or work art, uh, gatherings, we might argue that point. For the most part, it's an opportunity to go and have fun or join in a milestone event or raise money for a good cause. The invitations can begin to create a sense of an anticipation and, uh, and for us to really get excited about something that we're going to go to. And we're asked, of course, to respond, to honor the request being made to join. But not, of course, every invitation is one that we should expect. Not one is one that we should accept. Not every invitation is actually going to benefit us or maybe be one we should say yes to. Written invitations actually originated in the Middle Ages when the practice of sending elaborate written invitations emerged among the nobility. Families with money would commission monks who were skilled in calligraphy to handcraft their notes, which were then delivered, sometimes in the form of a rolled up scroll. The oldest invitation thought to be preserved comes from the year 100. It was sent from a Roman woman who could read and write to uh, her friend, and the woman's name was Claudia, and it's written in Latin, asking if this woman would come to her birthday celebration. And it says this, I give you warm invitation to make sure that you come to us to make the day more enjoyable for me by your arrival if you are present. It was written in ink on a wooden tablet. Now, an invitation indicates the importance, then, of relationship. When we are welcomed someplace, it means that we are valued. One blogger said it this way, the act of inviting someone to something special in your life communicates, I like you. I like being around you. I appreciate what happens when you join in. I want to spend time with you. So invitations matter. When we're asked to go for a walk or go to an elaborate party or a graduation, the invitation is about honoring the relationship that is endearing and close. So with this in mind, let's hear God's invitation to us through Isaiah 55. 
Again, you're going to want to keep your Bible in front of you because we're going to be going back and forth a little bit later on. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that which goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the things for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall come, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, what a beautiful passage. Thank you. Thank you, King of heaven and earth. May we hear today what you are inviting us into through the power of your spirit. We honor you, our risen Lord. Amen. We talked a few weeks ago about the servant of the Lord who would come and give his life for many. The servant has prepared the way, and now the people are invited There's an offer here of ongoing deliverance for those who accept that invitation. And so there are five pieces of this invitation, five various invitations, and I want to just briefly talk about each one. I'll tell you where they are so you can follow along in the word. From verses 1 and 2, there is an invitation that everyone gets to come for free. Now, these words would have been relevant for those who were coming back to Judah after they had been released from captivity Although King Cyrus had allowed the people to return, it was not a time of plenty. It was not a time of prosperity for them. Their capital had been destroyed and had not been rebuilt yet. Their infrastructure was weak. Many struggled. Many had to borrow money or land. Nehemiah writes about the great lengths that the people had to go to, even selling children into debt slavery to survive. So this invitation to enjoy rich food and wine at no cost would have been a welcome idea. 
Now, there's a thought here that Yahweh does not want people to turn down the invitation because they don't have any money, because they don't have any prestige, they don't have anything to offer. Everyone is welcome just to come. There's no barrier to accepting what is being offered. There are, it's free. But there are times in our life when an invitation comes and it seems too much. It seems too extravagant, or it seems like maybe we shouldn't really accept because we cannot reciprocate somebody or we won't fit in. And we think about that in terms of what God offers us. Do we sometimes, sometimes shy away because it seems too grand or too much or too, too much love or too lavish from the Lord? We can't repay. Are we worried somehow with God about being in debt? Commentator John Mottier says that there is a price to be paid, but it's not paid by the one being invited. The suffering servant, of course, is the one who takes on the sorrows, who pays the debt, who bears our sins so that we can gratefully accept everything that God invites us into. This is a no-strings-attached offer. There's no need to listen to a timeshare pitch before we get a free dinner. God just wants to be with us. But there is a question here also that God asks about why we spend our money on those things that don't satisfy us? Why do we spend our good, hard-earned cash that we labor for on those things that don't alleviate the emptiness that we feel? We have just had another Black Friday. Apparently, Cyber Monday is coming. And although not as popular as it used to be, Americans this year set a new spending record, shelling out $9.8 billion in online sales, a marked increase from last year. Although we are experiencing inflation where things cost more, people spent money in droves to have more. Now, this isn't a social commentary. I'm not here to shame you. Or myself, whatever, what? <laughs> But this is a reminder that if our buying habits are kind of patterned as retail therapy or to fill the gapping holes of our hearts, we have to pay attention to that. We have to pay attention to those longings that we have that affect us spiritually, that we try to, and all of the stuff that we buy. What is satisfying from the Lord cannot be found at Best Buy or REI. Remember that. Sometimes we read these verses as a call to worship because they highlight the radical idea of grace that God offers for all people to come and enjoy his belonging and hospitality for what our souls most need in life. Everyone thirsts, so everyone is invited to come. It doesn't matter how much we have or how much we lack, it's free. Show up and get what you need because God wants to satisfy your soul. From verses three and four, we see the invitation to live. How we respond to this invite is by listening to God and by accepting the covenant. And, and the writer here exemplifies this listening by using David. The eternal covenant, of course, is the long-standing tradition between Yahweh and his people. But it is being repeated to those who have just endured great trauma. To those who are returning to their home. And by grace or by sheer will, they have survived. But now God is extending again new life to them, not just physically, 
because they would have known how precarious our physical lives are. So much pain and violence and hopelessness. Just when we think everything is secure, the world we live in changes again, and our circumstances change. But the invitation here is to listen to the Lord who never changes, who is always the same, who walks with us in everything. Basically, the writer is saying, be like David. And then we think, David? Well, he was far from perfect. All of the things in his life. But one thing that David's life portrays is being teachable is going back to the Lord when he makes mistakes, when he falls short, when his enemies are surrounding him, and some of his enemies were supposed to be on the same team as him. And he would go to prayer. He would go to repentance. He would go in sackcloth and ashes. He would listen to what the Spirit said he would receive from the Lord. He would wait until the Lord spoke. That is a lesson of David It isn't that the Lord loves David more. It's that David understood the agreement between he and the Lord means that we live on the Lord's terms, the king's terms. David was a king, but he is not called a king here. He is called a witness. Jesus called himself a witness. And John, did you hear that? Jesus said, I've come to be a witness. David's life was a witness to the greatness of God to the faithfulness of God, to his mercy and provision and power. That's what this is saying. Be like David. Be like a witness of God's presence in your life. Those who listen to the Lord, those who accept the invitation to live, give a consistent testimony of what God offers. Number three, this is an invitation to remember who we are. This is uh, verses five through seven. These words frame how God's people will be a witness to the nations. This goes along with David again. Those who believe in God will be honored, will be lifted up by people that they don't even know. That's what the scripture is saying. These people aren't even going to know you, but they're going to know me because of your consistent testimony of who I am. Only God is faithful. Only God is mighty. How is the Lord made known in the world? Well, in large part by the very imperfect witnesses of those who know him. Followers of Jesus are sinful and broken, and yet still we are told to keep living in obedience, and that obedience will be a witness. There's a link here to these verses in 5 through 7 to wisdom literature. Psalm 9 invites people to come and to eat and drink what the Lord offers, and then it says this. Lay aside immaturity and live. Walk in the way of wisdom. This chapter is appealing to us. It's appealing us and trying to persuade us to live in the way of holiness. God always gives an invitation for us to change. God expects that we are going to be transformed in his image. It says, let the wicked leave their ways and the unrighteous forsake their ungodly thoughts. Throw yourselves on the mercy of God. Throw yourself on the mercy of God for the wrongs that you have committed and throw yourself on the mercy of God for those who have sinned against you. There's a notion here of a time frame It says, seek the Lord while he may be found, while he is near. 
There's an urgency here that we are invited to remember. Jesus tells the story about the grand party and how no one came. And so then the servants go and get the lost and the least and the forgotten. Amen. That's all of us so that we can enjoy the banquet that God has set out. When we were in Spain, we toured the Royal Palace of Madrid. People, I have never been in such a grand palace. It's one of the grand, it's the grandest palace in all of Europe. It has 3,418 rooms. It's full of priceless, golden, glittering artifacts benefiting a king and queen. And when we were going through, I said to Mark, I hope that this is a shack compared to what God has prepared for us. I think it is. Here the exiles are reminded again, don't look, don't look to model those, your life after those who don't know God. The word know occurs over 75 times in Isaiah. God will abundantly pardon. There will be mercy. The wicked and the unrighteous are encouraged to return and to know God, to know God. Lay aside immaturity and live, live in the way of God's wisdom. Four out of five. Here we go. This is an invitation in verses 8 through 11 to let God be God. That's what Jake and Travis were singing today. There's a contrast between humanity and Yahweh. God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. Not even close. We don't think like God. We struggle to love like God does. And to highlight the difference, the writer talks about how high the heavens are from the earth as a way of understanding the gap. Humanity has now gone into space, the beauty expanse, beauty of space, but we can't breathe the air without help. Our bodies can't function normally because there's no gravity. That's not our dwelling place. There are so many mysteries that the universe that we don't understand. And there are so many truths, God says. Just like it's hard for you to understand all of the heavens, there are truths that you can't even comprehend, but I want to help you. I want to help you know. Then a comparison is made about how we are dependent on our creator. Just as the rain comes from the heavens to nourish the earth, so God's truth comes as water to our parched souls. God provides, making sure that we have everything that we need. And God's word will go proliferously out into the world. The word will serve to accomplish God's will on earth. And God says, my purposes always, always go forth. My purposes always go forth that will feed and, and, and continually feed the earth and feed your souls. Nothing will thwart. It makes us think about Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer and how the invitation there is to know God's will on earth as it is done in heaven. That reminds us to join our souls to the Lord so that immaturity then is, is maturity then is closing the gap with our will and God's will. Scholar John Altswell reminds us that the invitation is one that we adhere to all of our lives. He says this, one of the problems of living on earth is that the longer we live here, the more the world's ways become our ways. And we have to be careful to not fall into the door of death. And it is at God's urgent invitation that we are to leave our comfortable worldly ways and launch out in paths of service and living that do not depend on our strength, but 
but on his. This is a lesson that we learn and relearn and relearn again. How God's ways are not our ways. How his thoughts are not. How complete his purposes and will is. How little we know. How limited our vision is. How small our view of the future is. And this invitation is meant to expand our trust, expand our understanding of who the Lord is, that no matter what our disappointments or challenges are, God is good now and forever. Lastly, verses 12 and 13, this is an invitation to worship. The last verses give a picture of God's majestic creation, giving honor to the creator We have an opportunity to come before the Lord and to express our love. The created world has a relationship with its maker. This is another mystery that we can't quite fathom, but we believe it. How the mountains sing and the trees clap their hands. They live in homage to God who made them. We are in synergy with the rest of God's created order. The earth belongs to the Lord, and our lives, just like the earth, lives and breathes by God's Spirit, and we celebrate with joy. We sang today that we will sing to Jesus for the love that God has shown us. The thorn and the briar will be changed as a servant comes to bring renewal to all corners. That is a sign that Nothing and no one will be abandoned or cut off. The blogger I mentioned before, his name is Paul Axtell, and he also says this, to accept an invitation is to participate being alive. To be noticed is good for the soul. It is to experience the world and see it in a different way. To have a chance to contribute to a group is good. Saying yes honors a relationship that is important to us. In Isaiah 55, we see how each part of the invitation carries with it a promise. Come and eat. Listen and live. Seek the Lord because he will be found. Trust in God because God's purposes will be accomplished. Worship me, God says, with all of creation and find peace and joy. The king of glory guarantees what he offers. This is what makes the invitation meaningful and lasting. There's an invitation. There is deep hope God offers that we will fully embrace, not just what is being promised, but that we would embrace the Lord of all. So this is a general invitation for all of God's people, but it's also a specific one. Because what do you think you are being invited to do today by the Lord. In this season of your life, what is God inviting you to know or to do or to be? Our new Bishop Kenny Martin has been teaching the church about how we should listen to the invitations of our lives. When you are invited to something, you should pay attention to that. Not just because someone likes you and you are being invited to do something or go someplace, but listen to what the Spirit of God says to you about the invitation. What purpose does the invitation serve? Your life and eternal life. What does God have to say? What are you being invited into by the Lord of heaven and earth today? It might look like a simple invitation to just go to a party or go to, for a walk with somebody. 
but what eternal purposes does God have? Here in Isaiah 55, there is great promise and hope. And no matter what it is that we are in the middle of right now, God is inviting us to trust him, to seek him, and to change, to be still, to move, to worship. We are always invited to put our faith, our faith in the Lord. So let's take a few moments before the King of glory and ask what invitation he is wanting us to respond to today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.